selfish ambition, conceit, personal gain. Selfish ambition, conceit, personal gain. What we want, when we want it. It's the default attitude of the human heart. If you've ever needed proof of the depravity of men and the sinful condition of human beings, you don't have to look much further than a toddler's words when they shout, no, and mine, give me, right? You scratch your head and you think, who taught that little booger to be so selfish? There was once a powerful man, a ruler. He had everything you could ever hope for, complete with a palace and a luxurious life Get this so expensive, you can't even dream, afford to dream about it. He wakes up late one morning. He stretches his arms out in the sky. He lets out a big old bear yawn. He scratches his back, and he walks towards his palace window. And he looks out the window, and he sees the Mideastern sun beating down on the distant valley. He begins to think to himself as he woke up late this morning. He thinks about his fearless army who's doing battle to protect his nation and maybe even expand their territory. As the country's fearless leader, he should be on the battlegrounds. He should be devising the military strategy. He should be leading the charge. But instead, he looks out the window, he takes a sip of his royal coffee, and he just continues to look out. He decides to take a stroll. On his palace roof, he begins to walk around when suddenly he's captured by a distant glimmer. What? What is that? Wait, what? It's a woman. She's bathing. But he looks away. But somehow, he seems to find his glance going right back in that direction. And that's when he makes the most, mental- the most intelligent and the most sophisticated of thoughts. Me likey, me want. And he inquires, and with a few snaps of his fingers, he gets what he wants. He's warned. They tell him, she belongs to somebody else. She, she's somebody else's wife. In fact, to one of his most loyal and valiant of soldiers. But forbidden fruit tastes so much sweeter, doesn't it? He saw... He devised a plan, and he conquered. What he should have done on the front lines of battle, he instead abused his power in order to violate this innocent woman. Who was he? You guys know him as King David in the Bible. He was the man after God's own heart. And this sinful decision would lead him down a dark path, which would conclude with plotting the murder of this woman's husband, just so that he could cover up his tracks. All for what? Selfish ambition, conceit. It's what we want, when we want it. I was at the supermarket a few weeks ago, and Melissa and I had to pick up some stuff for church, right? In fact, it was three items to be exact. Three things we had to pick up. We went in, we got our stuff, and then we made it to the checkout line, and it was packed. It was like Armageddon, I don't know what's going on, all the bread and milk off the shelves, and everybody was on the line. We only had three items, so we said, you know, let's just wait. We got on the express line, and we waited patiently. We waited, and we waited. And it got to right about the time when we were next 
the person in front of us who's putting stuff on the conveyor belt to pay uh, for her stuff, when all of a sudden, an older Chinese lady comes in front of me and she places her basket in front of my feet. So, I looked at her and I said, why did you put that in front of my feet? (laughs) And it was obvious that she was trying to cut in front of us in order to avoid waiting on the long lines. (laughs) Would you believe what she began to do? She began to speak to me in Chinese and hinting that she had been there before or something what I couldn't understand, obviously. And I I just, I said, you know, were you here before? She's just speaking her language and I don't understand what she's saying. She's pretending like she don't understand what I'm saying. I looked at the security guard and his whole five foot three, 120 pound frame just looked away. He didn't do anything. And so I'm in a dilemma. There was a lady in front of me and she was putting her stuff and I, and I just made sure. I was like, was she here? Did I, am I missing something? The lady said, no, she wasn't there. So I looked at the lady and I told her, that's not nice. <laughs> and I picked up her basket and I moved it off to the side and I looked her again and I said, That's not nice. You don't do that. Now, the question I ask, why did I tell you this story? Why, what in the world would possess an older lady to put her basket in front of a big old near six foot, 240 pound guy in the supermarket? What would possess her to do that? The only thing I can think of is selfish ambition and conceit. Let me explain. Selfish and conceited to think that her time was more valuable than mine's and everybody else that was behind me waiting. Selfish and conceited to think that she can do what she wants when she wants to. And I bet she was super surprised when I actually picked up the basket and moved it because I'm sure she was too selfish and conceited to think that anyone would do anything. Selfish ambition, personal gain, conceit. Today we're beginning a brand new series called Selfless. I want to welcome you guys to this new series uh, because we're going to be challenged. We're going to be challenged to be less me-focused and more others-focused. And it's a new year, like Stephen was just mentioning. And around this time of year, what do we do? We set resolutions, right? Now, by the way, this is not an anti-resolution message. I think resolutions are great, and you should definitely set goals for yourself. I think it's helpful, and I think it's healthy, so definitely do it. But most resolutions are personal, right? And they're focused around oneself. What if in addition to our own personal goals, we added being more others focused? What if we added that? And for this series, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2 as a guide for what we'll be discussing. And Paul, the author of Philippians, he he wrote this book in the New Testament. But what we call a book is actually a letter that he wrote to a church. And in chapter 2, he goes into the instructions for what Christian humility should look like. Paul is going to make the argument that if there's genuine faith in Christ, then you will exhibit these qualities. If you're a follower of Jesus, these are, exi- these are qualities that you should exhibit. So as we read these next couple of verses, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I exhibit these qualities? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to Philippians chapter 2. Take out your message notes. The verses are there as well. And we'll put it up on the screen here as well. Right there. Okay, it's a Philippians chapter 2. Let's open up by reading verse 1 and 2. Here's what it says. 
If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. I want you guys to realize, first and foremost, um, the first thing he, re- he talks about there. He's talking to, like, if, if you're in Christ, right? He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any type of love, if there's any ounce of the fellowship with the Spirit of God, if there's any ounce of affection or mercy in you, this should happen, right? And so what he's calling out is, like, Christians, I'm going to invite you to some things that we should have in common. There's lots of differences that we have, but there's some things that should be the same. It should, some things that should be alike. And the first thing that he says is to be like-minded. Number one, in your notes, is be like-minded. He says it there in, uh, in verse 2. In other words, this means to share the same thought. Otherwise, if we think different thoughts, then what might happen? The natural conclusion is division, right? Where there's a difference of thoughts and ideas and vision, there's division. And Paul is saying here, hey guys, if, if, we, wanna, if we say we follow Christ, we have to get on the same page here. We have to have the same thought and collectively we need to reflect Christ with our words and with our actions. The second thing that he says is that we need to have the same love. What type of love? It's a love that is for one another. It's a love that is sacrificial. It's a love that is selfless. Not a self-serving love, but a love that is shared with each other. And in fact, this point is so important that Jesus shared these words, and we've read these words probably countless times here at Swerve Church, but it's so important that, that Jesus made a note to say this. I would love if we would read it together. It's in John chapter 13, verse 35. You guys ready? Let's read it. Go. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. Amazing. The love that we are able to share with one another will actually be a witness to the rest of the world. By the love demonstrated toward one another and towards other people, people would look in and they would say, wow, there's something different about that group. I want a piece of that. I want in. If we all demonstrated that love, it would be so attractive to everyone around us. If churches in New York City would demonstrate that love, it would be even more impactful. By this, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So Paul is saying we got to be same one thought, one mind. We need to be the same, one love. Then he says this, number three, united in spirit. United in spirit. And this is the idea of having unity. Having unity. There's probably nothing uglier to experience than disunity. But unfortunately, one of the things that is marked the global church is just that. How unfortunate is that? One of the qualities that we should display is unity. Why? Because we've experienced the greatest unifying factor, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for sinners like you and I. And as I look across this room, there's different people here, there's different backgrounds, different upbringings, different career choices, different uh, socioeconomic statuses and, and such. There's a lot of differences. But there's one thing we all have in common. That's that we've experienced the bloodshed of Jesus on the cross for sinners like you and I. That's the single most unifying factor. Otherwise, what else would bring us all together other than the blood of Jesus? 
You know, I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 10. I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to invite you to read the last part of this verse with me. Here's what it says. I appeal to you. It's almost like he's begging. He's like, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you, please, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Let's read this last part of the verse together. Ready? Go. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Be of one mind. Be united in thought and of one purpose. Brothers and sisters, please, he's practically begging us. Let's live in harmony. Let there be no divisions in the church. Let's let's love one another. Be united. One mind. One thought. And one purpose, which leads us to the next point, which is exactly what Paul said in Philippians 2, of one purpose. Number four in your notes, of one purpose. And this means to be united around one cause, which is ultimately everything that we've been talking about, right? That is, to be unified around the cause of Christ, living for His glory and fulfilling His purposes. So, Paul says that as followers of Jesus, we ought to have the same foundation. This is the foundation that we ought to all have. We should be like-minded. We should be, share the same, uh, the same sacrificial and selfless love in Jesus. We should be united in spirit, united in purpose. And if so, if we share that same foundation, what's the natural outcome? What's the natural outcome in how we treat not only each other, but others and those around us as well? Well, he tells us, let's read it back in our passage today. In Philippians chapter 2. Let's read this verse uh, together. Let's read it in verse 3. It's in your note. It's up here on the screen as well. Excuse me. Ready? Go. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. This serves as kind of our key verse for today and, and somewhat loosely for the rest of our series Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. This is drastically different than the world's definition of success. Can we just say that? After all, you have to look out for number one, don't you? No one else is anyway, right? But Paul presents to us a different, upside-down, backwards, inverted, and counterintuitive way of thinking. He says, in humility consider others more important than yourselves. And if we're honest, this is not only a drastically different, this is not only drastically different from the rest of the world, okay? But if we're really honest, it really feels backwards for yourself, doesn't it? It's because it's counterintuitive of yourself. Our natural inclination, our sinful bend is to put ourselves before others. But it's definitely counterintuitive in our society. Do you know how I know? Because of subway signs. Have you guys ever seen signs on the subway or on the bus? If you take the bus, if you commute, taking public transportation, you've seen them. If, you, if you've taken the train or the bus, you've seen these signs. They're plastered all over the place. Some have been made by MTA themselves and others by someone who took the liberty to educate their fellow passengers on what should be plain old common sense. Um, check out these signs. Have you seen these right here? Offer your seat to an elderly, disabled, or pregnant person. Then on the bottom it says, even better, add a smile. How many times you take in the training, you see somebody come with children, or pregnant, a bunch of bags, and everybody closes their eyes and pretends like they're asleep, right? So they have to put this sign up, 
off of your seat. If you see an old person with a cane or, or a disabled or somebody pregnant, offer them to your seat. It's pretty common sense. How about this one? Poles are for your safety, not your latest routine. Have you guys seen that one? Hold the pole, not our attention. A subway car is no place for showtime. Right? You ever seen those guys that put on a show in the middle of the subway, kick you in the face or whatever, they do whatever they do? How about this one? Dude, stop the spread, please. It's a space issue. Huge issue with man spreading on, on the subways, apparently. It's made of, of blog articles and such. And we'll take two or three seats um, with the big old man spread on the seats. And uh, how about this one? It's a subway car, not a dining car. All right, people come out. They take out their takeout food or whatever. That's what it says. Maybe takeout, but please don't eat it here, right? You got to educate people on what not to do. And I think, is this one my favorite one? Uh, no, not this one. Clipping and primping. Uh, look at this guy cutting his fingernails over here. Everybody wants to look their best, but it's a subway car, not a restroom. Okay, I think this one's my favorite. Please don't take the P train on our subway. <laughs> Seriously. And then it says, can't believe we need to make a sign for this. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is how you know, right, that we... The fact that somebody has to come up, whether the MTA made them all or somebody else made their way to, to go ahead and print these out, okay, it, it just boggles that you have to actually educate somebody on that, on basic manners, right? To put others before themselves. So Paul says that as followers of Jesus, we ought to have the same foundation, that we should be like-minded, that we should share in the same sacrificial love of Jesus, and Paul mentions humility in this passage. Humility. I googled the definition of humility because afterwards when you want to know something, who do you ask, right? You ask Google. And so I, I googled it. Look what came up. You guys are ready for this? This is the definite, the first definition that popped up on Google. A modest or low view of one's own importance. A modest or low view of one's own importance. Can I humbly disagree a little bit with this definition? Is that all right? Because maybe, maybe this is why people have a problem with humility. Because do you have to have a poor or negative view of yourself in order to be humble? Like, do you have to, like, hate yourself in order to consider other people more important than yourself? Now, granted, this was the first definition that popped up, and I'm sure there's better definitions on the Internet. But this is the first one that came up. And as you guys know, Google is life. But I much rather prefer... Paul's definition. Did you guys catch it in that verse? According to this verse, according to the verse we just read, humility, humility looks a lot more like a lack of selfish ambition and conceit and considering others better than yourself. A lack of selfish ambition and conceit and considering others more important than yourself. In other words, just putting others first. And this is something that Jesus modeled all throughout his ministry, right? The Bible tells us of a time when he was heading towards the cross. He knew it was coming. He, he knew that he would be insulted and tortured and beaten and bruised and ultimately murdered, right? Why? For the, to take the punishment of our sin, the punishment that our sin deserves, the cause of our sin is death and eternal separation from God. But God in his great love for us sends Jesus to die in our place. And just before he would be betrayed and ultimately handed over to the authorities and, and, of course, executed, he says this prayer. He prays this in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Let's read this. Look what it says. Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, 
not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus, even though he knew the pain and the agony that lied ahead, he still placed everyone else before himself. And ultimately, even more importantly, he placed God's will before his own. And Jesus is our perfect example of humility, our perfect example of sacrifice and selflessness. Now, maybe you're thinking, Danny, are you telling me to completely ignore my own needs and only consider the needs of others? No, no way. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, let's read what Paul says in Philippians 2.4. Let's read this verse together. Look what Paul says. He doesn't make that point in verse 4. You guys ready? Let's read it out loud. Ready? Go. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Did you guys catch that? Did you guys see it there in the verse? So he's saying it's not to neglect your own needs, but it's that we look out for the needs of others as well. And we can do so. Why? Why can we do that? Because Jesus did it for us. What might happen if we were not only followers of Jesus because we said we were, what if we put the gospel on display for the world to see? What impact might we see? Just to wrap up, I think about yesterday, how cold yesterday was. It was ridiculously cold. Parking was extremely difficult. Snow everywhere. Snow really turned to ice, really. And, uh, but yet, you know, a group of you guys that are here made the effort to go to Williamsburg to go and serve families in the shelter there. Why would you do that? Why would you make the effort and do that? Except that God has shown us through Jesus you know, what it means to consider others more important than us. To make a sacrifice like that. And to be able to do that. What if we weren't only Christians because we said we were or because we checked it off on some survey or census. What if we were Christians by how we lived our lives? What if we backed up our speech with action? What do we consider others more important than ourselves? Everyone should look out for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. What if this new year, in addition to whatever resolution you've set out, what if in addition to that, you've made a resolution to be less selfish, less conceited, and more selfless, and more considerate of others? Do you guys join me in praying? God, we thank you um, for this word. And, uh, and God, I pray, as convicting as it is, Lord, uh, that we would take it to heart. And that in addition to whatever resolutions we may set out and goals for this new year, that uh, by the power of your spirit, of course, uh, your regenerating spirit, that you would help us to be selfless and more considerate of others. God, everything within me and everything within us tells us the opposite. <laughs> tells us to put us before everything else, before the rest of the world, to look out for number one. But God, help us to follow the example of Christ. To live humbly, not degrading ourselves, but considering others more important. And we pray, God, that by this, people would see 
that we are your disciples by how we love one another, by how we treat each other, by how we put others before even our own selves. We pray this in your precious son's name. Amen and amen.